Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popovich. How you doing, buddy? I'm great, Faisal. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Good. I'm glad that we're seeing the hopefully the last bits of snow. I hope so. You know, you get excited. That it's always the same every year. You get excited for spring, and then oh, wait a minute, we're not quite there yet, right? You talking about fits and starts? The weather or the markets? Both. Okay. It's a beautiful analogy, isn't it? Fits and starts. Fits and starts. <laughs> some days it's snowing, and some days it's not. We've got a great show today. We're going to definitely talk about the markets and how things have been going. Um, little snowstorms here and there, and then all of a sudden, sun comes Rays out sunshine, in the market. Yeah. Um, but there's been some concerns out there as well. Um, that we've been reading about and hearing about. You know, as we get to tax season, people yep. look at their tax receipts and they say, hang on, I have to pay tax on the withdrawal from my registered income fund. And here we go. Now we have the conversation of maybe the rules need to change of this program we call RIF or Retirement Income Fund. So we're going to bring on an expert talking about some ideas and, that, yep. and ways to possibly change this. And some, and some new options for aging in place. The majority of people that we talk to Right, have a desire to age in place for as long as they possibly can. So we're going to take a look at a different option, one we haven't talked about before, and I encourage everybody to stick around for that. Cool. Okay, let's talk a little bit about uh, the markets this week as we do. Um, I thought this week was a fascinating week of trading because, and I'm going to oversimplify it, but it'll get us going. On the one hand, plenty of evidence to suggest that inflation is slowing. Rays of sunshine. On the other hand, economic data and Fed commentary to indicate the economy's slowing and perhaps at a pace faster than expected. Mm -hmm. Snowstorm. And it depends on, it was, it's fascinating to watch the trade just this week based on what information comes out and the market trading activity based on that. So you can see right now the, the, the collective market mood and what, they're, and, and what they're focused on. But remember, here, here's the interesting thing. Raising interest rates is designed to be a sledgehammer to break some stuff. Now, what they want to break is they want to break inflation. How do you break inflation? You got to slow things down. You got to take some demand out of the system, right? So we wanted and expected that demand should be coming out, that consumer spending should be slowing and all these kinds of things should be happening. But when we get the data sometimes, oh, whoa, that's not good news, right? So it's really fascinating to see, to see the, the trading activity and what can change throughout the course of the day based on whatever information is released. So he, I'm going to go back to a point where it was in, um, I think in my, my late high school, early university years. And what happened was, whenever I would I would get dressed, I'd look in front of the mirror, I'd go, okay, it looks good. You know, I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> and I go, oh, those shoes look bad. Or, right. oh, I don't like those socks. Or, oh my God, that, that tie is not tied properly. And I would start picking on little spots. Overall, I looked pretty good, but wasn't too happy with certain little spots when I was looking in the mirror. This is exactly what happened with the data. Oh, we've got lower inflation. Ah, much happier. In the morning, things are happy. Right. We're good. And then all of a sudden, they start picking through the data. Well, hang on. Products are down in inflation, not services. So that's a problem. Yep. So they start picking away at little pieces, and then the market starts to turn and goes to that snowstorm you were referring to. I think that's where, as People transition to or live in retirement. If you focus on the day-to-day -day activity, um, you will need some sort of medication to handle all the volatility mm -hmm. because it's crazy. Right. Trying to understand how you're going to live your life in retirement with the cash flow that you need, the growth that you need, um, 
on day-to-day -day reactions is going to be a problem. But if you look at this as companies are being valued minute by minute, second by second. Right. That doesn't change the value of what they do. And, and it's not just being valued based on math, right? That minute by minute, second by second is emotional, right? And so I think we forget sometimes that the price action, I always call it the price discovery in the debate. So if there's two big pieces of information, the market is now going to debate which one they are collectively most interested in that day. And I'll take, I think it was Wednesday, right? Wednesday, we get uh, CPI data that showed in the United States that inflation was either matching expectations or better than expectation, meaning inflation was lower. Yeah. And emotionally, that was a positive sign. Later that day, the Fed, in the minutes to the last meeting, said that the banking crisis might uh, to take the U.S. to a mild recession. And the emotion immediately changed, right? So you've got, you've got this trading, which people think is always mathematical, but it's not necessarily, right? That daily price action discovery can be very emotional in nature. And, and mathematics will come in only on the data you put into it. Mm -hmm. so there's assumptions that are mm -hmm. being put in. And so when you're, when you're the average individual investing, not trading, right. investing, right. because you want this to appreciate over time to reach certain goals, the day-to-day -day action is, is a problem. Right. The month-to-month, -month, the one year over one year. And I think when we've seen where the markets have been over the last 12, 18 months, your typical balanced investor hasn't made money over the past 12, 18 months. They might have even lost money over that period. It's frustrating. Yeah, but people think of it differently. I'm going to use a different analogy because we often talk about the housing market, right? And people uh, in this country have lost money in an aggregate across the country over the past year. But different than, than their portfolio, they don't rush out and say, I got to sell my house right now. Right? Which is, it's a very interesting, different dynamic. And part of that, of course, has to do with the emotional feelings, seeing stuff priced minute to minute, second by second, and day to day, where they don't see that in their house. Yeah. Right? So it's, a, it's an interesting dynamic. And you bring a good point. So I had, a, I had a listener call me up and say, you know, my portfolio is down 10% from last year. Okay. And my rental properties, um, mm. I'm underwater. What do you mean by you're underwater? Well, the price... When I bought them, were much higher than they are now. They actually have gone down in value. Um, this is in Ontario, this yeah. person, right? Yeah. So we saw a 13% sure. drop in the property value year over year. And um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about that, right? I'm, what do I do with my investment portfolio? I go, your investment portfolio is all of that, not just your, your investments with the stock portfolio, yeah. but yeah. also your real estate. Go, what do you want to do with your investments on, your, on the stock market? Well, I think we should get out. Well, why do you think that? Well, because I'm down. Like, you, but you're down on your real estate. More. Why don't you take a hit on your real estate then and walk away? Oh, but that's, that's long-term. Interesting. But stocks are not? Right. Are, you, are you investing in the stock market for a short-term perspective? Right. No, no, it's for my, my retirement. I'm five years away. So then it's long-term. Right. But it's down. So is your real like we had this circle conversation over and over and over again, right. and they couldn't separate the fact that if you're down and you want to cash out, cash out. Right. If that's what you feel, but then why are you not cashing out on your investments, which is also your real estate? Right. It's something about the brick and mortar yep. 
that keeps people invested longer term. It's exactly and no it. one's calling them up or giving them a statement or on a screen that says, this is the value of your house second by second, right. minute by minute. So there's a psychological perspective of that. Yeah. But I think what, what happens is that people will treat the stock market because of the liquidity differently than they'll treat their investment property. Well, and, and I contend it's it's the daily it's the daily liquidity and the price discovery that happens every day. It's shocking, yeah. right? Because literally, your a, a house can go no bid on any given day. There is no buyers for your house today. Is the price zero? Right? Because that's what it would show up on your statement yeah. if there wasn't, or at least what the last bid was. And right? here's but, what's missing out of this whole conversation I had with with this individual. I said, so you have investments in real estate and in the markets. What's your strategy? Right. And it was quiet. Do you have a strategy like buckets, where you have income coming your way and you have growth in a perspective, so you can look at that over the long term and kind of yeah. work things out? Yeah. No. Well, there's a problem. Right. If you fail in your in strategy, you're going to fail in your plan completely. Hazel, there's been some discussion recently about whether or not the RIF rules that were put in place a number of years ago rep are reflective of today's day and age, returns, uh, longevity, how long people are living, and, and their financial needs over time. Um, and I think we should uh, discuss some of the proposed changes, at least, that are being put forward as they may affect what the what the rules are going to look like in the future. Yeah, for, so at 71 years of age, you have the ability to convert your RSP into a retirement income fund. We call it a RIF. And then the government has a mandate of the minimum amount that you have to take out every single year. Yep. It's based upon your age or your spouse's age, and it's based on the value of your of your RSPs on December 31st of the previous calendar year. So there's a calculation that happens here, and there's a lot of times where people are like, Am I, I have to take this out. Will this money last uh, as long as I need it to? Um, so on and so forth. And so that's, you know, on, on occasion we hear uh, people come back and say, this is not the right timing for the rules. We need to change them. We need to you know, adjust them. Uh, and so we're back at this again. And I think um, we do need to revamp the rules. I think there needs to be a good conversation about that. And we've got a, a great guest who's, who's brought that forward as well. That's right. So Bill Robson, CEO of the CD Howe Institute. Um, Bill, first of all, thanks for joining us uh, on the show. We appreciate you taking some time with us. My pleasure to be here, and uh, let's hope it's a productive conversation and that uh, we give the government some ideas as well as uh, your listeners. So let's start at a high level. Just tell us a little bit about um, about the thesis about why you believe, or the CD Howe Institute believes, that the RIF rules are out of date and need to be revamped. I'll start with the very biggest uh, picture uh, comment, really, which is uh, that there's a framework in place right now, uh, which you were just describing, Fazel, about... Um, when you have to convert your RRSP or your or your DC pension uh, into a RIF and then uh, have to start running it down. And I do want to say right at the beginning that it's not obvious why we would have any of these rules at all. Uh, why would you not, for example, allow a person to stop saving and start drawing down uh, when that person wants or even uh, reverse uh, field because people's circumstances change if you decided that you wanted to put more in after having started to draw down. Uh, what would be wrong with that? Why not uh, allow people complete flexibility about when they bring their tax deferred savings into income? 
we're so used to the framework that exists right now that it seems like quite a radical thing to pose that question. But I think we should uh, start there, uh, partly simply because the government is immortal. Uh, the reason, one of the reasons we have these rules is because they're impatient for revenue. And there have been times when the federal government had uh, big deficits and unsustainable debt. Well, arguably they do right now, but they don't seem very concerned about it, right? Like in, 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 in many areas. Why be impatient for revenue if you're immortal? Uh, the riff holder isn't immortal uh, to a person who's uh, running uh, his or her retirement savings down. Uh, timing matters a lot. So I did want to just start with that because uh, we're going to focus most of the time, I think, on the rules that exist right now and how they might change and how they should change. Um, but one of the options uh, would be to simply uh, get rid of this entire regime and, and give people a whole lot more freedom. And that would be my starting place because people are different. Uh, it's any time you've got a, a set of ages out there and a formula out there uh, that imposes a one-size-fits-all uh, on uh, all retirement savers and then all seniors when they're drawing their uh, incomes down, uh, you're always going to have people for whom it just doesn't make sense. So uh, I'll just start with that. That's why we have the current regime. That's why at age 71, you have to stop saving and then you have to start drawing it down as you were just describing with these minimum mandatory withdrawals. Uh, you don't actually need to have any of that. I don't think we're going to get very far arguing, um, but uh, that would be kind of a, a, a nice kind of, um, uh, let's hold that up as an ideal and then the more you deviate that with from, from that with these restrictions and these forced conversion dates and so on, the more conscious you have to be that as you put those rules in place, there are going to be people for whom they just don't make sense. So let's go into the uh, the changes you'd like to see. What uh, what are the key changes you'd like to see going forward, given the rules that we have now? Well, if you're going to have a set of uh, ages at which you have to stop saving and start drawing down, and if you're going to have some kind of withdrawal schedule, I think that the uh, the purchasing power of, of those withdrawals over time is really a key thing to focus on. Um, if you were able to buy, uh, and if you're a federal public servant or an MP, uh, you do get an indexed annuity. If you were able to go uh, with your RSP savings and, and buy an annuity, at an attractive price, uh, ideally, uh, but that would uh, give you a level payment for the rest of your life in real terms, so indexed to inflation. Um, that would be a very attractive thing for a lot of people. I think that's probably the right benchmark to be thinking of. As it turns out, and I don't think it's a total accident, when the initial, when the framework that we now have in, in broad strokes, the conversion age of 71 and a mandatory minimum withdrawal schedule, when that first came into being in the early 1970s, um, uh, sorry, in the, in, in the, in the 1990s, um, uh, the, uh, the, the payments that you would get out of a RIF with those minimum drawdown requirements as they existed then and with returns on the assets in the RIF, uh, what they were then, it wasn't too far off that. Uh, you had reasonable sustainability in real terms until you got well into your 90s. Uh, and then it went off a cliff because the the drawdown schedule becomes far more aggressive. You got to go 20% a year until it runs out. Um, but the reason I mention it is because it wasn't too far off that kind of a, a situation where you had those level payments. Two key reasons for liking that kind of level payment in real terms. First, it's a pretty good compromise between 
you know, some seniors do spend a lot less as they get older. And, and a lot of people will say, well, that's why you should have a drawdown schedule that does provide less money because we just do fewer things as we get older. But there's another side to it entirely, which is that many people, as they get into their more advanced years, they have bigger expenses, uh, you know, long-term care, uh, things that you might not be able to get from the Medicare system. Uh, and so, uh, there's, a, you know, the the way to saw that off is just to say, well, let's let's try and make sure that it doesn't um, uh, go all over the place. Uh, and then another uh, key thing is taxes. Uh, if you've got a level payment in real terms over time, you're less likely to have uh, years when, and this would be true with a, a very front-loaded regime like we have now, where you're paying higher taxes. Uh, because you're in a higher tax bracket. And then as time goes by, your tax rate falls. Um, but a person who had a level payment and had the same cumulative income in retirement might pay a lower tax rate because they were never in that, that higher situation. Um, I'll also add, uh, because many people do take these drawdowns as kind of like a guide to what you should do. This is what the government is mandating, so therefore it's probably a, a sensible withdrawal schedule. Uh, if 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 you're a person who's taking that view of it, that kind of level thing over time is a lot better than what happens now, because now returns are a lot lower, people are living longer, and that kind of level payment scenario is way in the past. Now, if you look at the purchasing power of a typical person who is in retirement drawing down a riff, it goes down quite steadily over time, and then it goes off a cliff. And that's just no kind of schedule for anybody to be uh, using as kind of like, this is what I should do. It's what the government forces you to do, but it's not the ideal thing by any means. I think what, what we find uh, is that these types of programs get put into place, then they get parked, and no one really gets the opportunity yeah. to revisit and actually make adjustments. I think uh, the ideas that the CD Howe Institute has brought forward are great ideas that need to have that discussion. Going right at the very beginning of why the heck do we even need a withdrawal rate at all? Why don't right. we just let people have that flexibility to figure out their own lives? Uh, I think that's a great starting point there. And I think one key thing that we need to, to have that discussion is whenever we set a program in like this from a financial perspective, I think government should have a mandate to review it, um, get public opinion, get analysis done every three to five years or whatever that time frame is so that, that we're always up to date because, uh, you know, like like uh, like Bill was saying, things that were happening in in the early 1990s with interest rates being yep. double digits yep. are completely different when they're at one, two, three, four percent interest. Um, and annuity rates are different, annuity and longevity is different, healthcare is different, structure of what you're gonna be spending your money on is different. All these different issues that come up require an ongoing review. You know, Bill, I wanna thank you so much for joining us. This was um, some great insight. We definitely hope that all the politicians that do listen to our show <laughs> can actually take some of this and send it forward so we can actually get some, some we can move forward from it, uh, going forward. Thank you so much for joining us today, Bill. My, my pleasure, thanks for having me. Uh, Faisal, we, we talk a lot about the uh, the journey of retirement and where people want to ultimately age, right? And I would say the vast majority of people we talk to want to stay age in place, the place that they're comfortable with, that their family's grown up in or where, you know, wherever them and their partners are at at that particular time. Yeah, and I think where they're looking for not only the quality of, the, of living in, in their place, but they also want quality of care, yeah. environment, they want their social life still there. So they, they still want that lifestyle they've had, but they don't want it to be put into maybe a long-term care facility and so forth, unless they have to. Yeah, unless they have to. And I think you're, you make an interesting point. The, the, the point of aging in place, I think we've got to shake people off of a little bit, if great if you can, but there's a whole bunch of elements that have to go in to make sure that aging in place is going to be the right experience. Anyways, 
part of that experience is going to be your surroundings. And we've got a terrific guest joining us, John Brown. So John is the uh, Dean School of Architecture, Planning and Landscape at the U of C. And he's also the co-founder of Garden Loft. John, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Okay, let's talk a little bit about this idea of, um, of what Garden Loft is and a little bit about why you, know, you co-founded it. So share with us this experience about trying to age in place and the best experience we can have. Yeah, you bet. And, uh, you know, in listening to the conversation that you had before you introduced me, I think you're, you know, you're right bang on. 90% of Canadians do not want to go into a care facility. They want to stay living in their own home. The reality is that that becomes more difficult as uh, physical and, and, yeah. and cognitive decline, losing abilities starts to set in. And the unfortunate reality is that 99% of the houses that we have in North America aren't suitable or aren't well suited for people with differing abilities. And that could be an end, you know, from a, from a traumatic brain injury to, uh, you know, some, uh, something that happens at birth to getting old. And um, so steps up to the front door, narrow hallways, bathtubs that you have to climb into, difficult to reach kitchen cabinets, uh, even something as simple as, as um, all, all of which makes, can make it dangerous or at least unpleasant to, to, live, in, to live in your house. Uh, even something as simple as not being able to have the arm mobility to be able to toilet yourself can lend you up in a care facility, even though there's nothing else wrong with you. And so the problem that we saw as architects is that there, is, there are two distinct camps. There's the, the typical house where, where, you, we, we, where most people spend most of their lives. Then as soon as something happens, the only other option is really a, a care facility. And that care facility, by nature of it, has to cater to a broad spectrum of needs. And it tends to, um, it's very difficult for those that have only small issues. Uh, that, that make it difficult to live in. And so you're, we even, we know that I think 10% of the population of care facilities are people that are not seniors. They just have, have uh, different, uh, differing abilities that they're in their 40s, their 50s, their 30s, and they have to live in a care facility because they have no other option. So we set out to come up with a new option that, uh, that, that could address that need, that gap. So let's go through that option. Yeah. Yeah. What does it look like, feel like, what's the... What, give us the the, uh, the rundown because you're going to get a lot of individuals going, aha, I don't have to go into a facility. I just have to have my facility. Right. You know? Yeah. That's right. That's right. So this started out as a research project with the Cumming School of Medicine at the University of Calgary. Um, then we took it into my research lab and we've been working with the city of Calgary and a whole bunch of, of other people. We've now gone out and commercialized it into, uh, into a startup. And uh, basically what we have is a uh, for uh, a, a prefabricated living unit that can be craned into the backyard of your house or a family member's house. And the, the living unit has uh, a series of advanced safety and support features that allow you to live independently for a longer period of time. Essential to that, though, is, that, is its location, which is ideally in the, in the backyard of a friend's house or a family member's house, so that you're very, very close to being able to get some of that informal support. Somebody that can maybe come, it's easy to get over to, for a visit or to, uh, to maybe have some meals together or have someone do your grocery shopping, that kind of thing. So it is about truly a, an aging in place, uh, aging in community, not, not just calling it aging in place, um, 
option for, for people. I, I like this idea because I know a lot of um, the, the generation we call the sandwich generation, mm-hmm. um, you and I are yep. part of that, yep. that generation, uh, where we do have to take care of our children in our own home. Uh, we pray and hope they leave one day, <laughs> but for a while they stick with us. And then you've got aging parents right. who you want close to you, who are going through changes uh, for themselves. And here's an option as opposed of, and think of this from our perspective being in that sandwich generation where we have to feel like we're going from from our children, then we have to go run and take care of our parents, then come back to our children. It feels like you're a ping pong going back and forth yeah. and back and forth. Having a loft idea like this, where it's literally in your backyard. Now, I know some people are saying, I don't want my parents or in-laws that close to me. I totally get that. But here's an opportunity to actually make a huge community difference. What I find is intergenerationally, the further apart that these, these generations are, the harder it is to keep that 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 value system, that family right. together. Yep. Here is one way to do that. And I, I think I'm glad we found this this uh, this whole option, the garden loft. I think it's great. And, and John, tell us about um, you know you're at the commercialization stage now. How's the reception? What kind of feedback are you getting? Well, we've got five um, five units that we've sold. Four of them are are uh, in community, two in Calgary, two in Edmonton. The fifth one is just uh, halfway through construction now, and the response has been amazing. Uh, people are so excited about this. You know, it's um, we have uh, well one example: the mom was living in Edmonton, uh, daughter was living down here. Uh, she was struggling; she was lonely, and um, but they they you know they 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 love to garden together, and so she's now living in our one bedroom garden loft. Uh, the, the loft is, is set on the back property so that it aligns with the, back, with the existing back deck so that she can walk out of her, her house. It's about 20 feet to the, to the back door of her, of her daughter's house. Uh, we fenced it in so that the dogs can run back and forth between the two, the two properties. And I think the key piece is that you are neighbors, not roommates. You, know, you, you, you made the comment about not everybody wants to have uh, uh, you know, a, a, a permanent house guest, uh, even if they're your parents and you love them dearly, it just doesn't fit into the lifestyle of, as you said, that sandwich generation. But imagine if they were in their own house, it's self-contained, it's got a kitchen, everything is there, but it's you don't have to go driving 20 minutes to go for a visit, you can just pop around, or your, your parents are available to do some informal um, childcare. If they, you know, kids come home in the afternoon and you're at work there, they're able to uh, to sort of let them in and 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 oversee them a little bit. We have less than a minute to go. Um, two questions come up to my mind: cost. What is someone looking at paying for this? And number two, if they're interested, how do they get more information? Sure. Okay. So the the cost. First of all, I'd suggest go to gardenloft.ca. For, for, for all of the information. There's pricing and, and that, there's financing available. The one bedroom unit costs 300, about, it's $275,000 for the unit. And then once you've installed it, it's about $320,000, which sounds like a lot. But if you, if you compare that, and there's a comparison on our website, the monthly cost, the average monthly cost for an for a independent living facility is $4,300 a month. So over five years, you're gonna spend $280,000 on that. You'd spend 387 over that period because if, say, you purchased the unit outright, 
over that time. But this is the key difference. With a garden lot, because it's prefabricated and craned onto your lot, you can also sell it and take it off of your lot. So you can, when you don't need it anymore, because let's face it, this is not a long-term proposition, five, 10 years probably, you're able to recoup that money. We'll be setting up a resale uh, page on our website, just like other kinds of vehicles and things. You know, some people like new, some people like to save a bit of money and, and buy used. Um, you actually, the net cost we're anticipating for five years would be $170,000. So you're actually saving $110,000 uh, by living in a garden loft over living in an independent care facility. It's obviously not something that's available to everybody. I understand that. Uh, we wish that we were able to have a program that, that would be able to, uh, to make it easier. But it, for, for, for a number of people, it, it does serve their needs and it, it alleviates that stress. Well, and it's, it's another option, John, and we thank you for, uh, for coming on our show and informing us and, uh, and all, of our, uh, all of our listeners. We appreciate that. My pleasure. All right. We've been joined by John Brown, and um, amongst other things, he's a co-founder uh, co of Gardenloft, gardenloft.ca, if you're interested in information on that. And if you forget that, just contact us at More Than Money and we'll make sure we get you connected. You and I both came across this article. Yes. We both found it at the same time, and I think that speaks to something which we can talk <laughs> about. Here's the headline. You can go on the ultimate James Bond vacation for $74,000. So, Dan, that's a lot of money. But number two, because it said James Bond experience, I thought of you right away. Yeah. I printed this thing, because yep. sending you an email will be challenging for, for you to read. <laughs> for me, yeah, that's right. So we printed this. I gave it to you, and you're like, I read this too, and it was pretty interesting. What's this about that you're so fascinated with James Bond, and why would this type of experience be yeah. something you'd be interested in? And, and so listen, not, not that the 74000 was attractive, but there was a bunch of options, right? So the headline caught my attention, not the money, but the ultimate James Bond vacation. Now, the ultimate one was traveling all over the place. So when I started to read the article, it spoke to a bunch of things that I really enjoy, right? I mean, I love to travel. I love the history. I love James Bond movies. Right? I love the idea of martinis and all of these different things. I thought, wow, that's an, in, that's an incredible experience. But Faisal, it spoke to me beyond that too. Right? It spoke to um, uh, a, a, a purpose right, of, of what I want to do in retirement. And you and I talk about this all the time. So let me jump in that on that point. Because when we talk to clients or listeners and viewers of the show, we ask them, what do you want to do in retirement? Right. They talk about experiences like travel. They talk about... Well, they, yeah. They talk about say, the activity. I was going to say experience. The activity. the activity. That's better. That's a better word. Yeah. They talk about the activity. Okay, yeah. so I want to. we're going to go and travel to Europe. Great. What are you going to do there? We're just going to go to all the different countries. Okay, now you can kind of enhance that experience and maybe have like what, this whole James Bond idea if you're a James Bond fan. There's so many things. You can have unique experiences. Right. But those are still just activities. At some point, Dave, when you, we were chatting about this um, before we came back on the show, and I said, why the heck do you want to do this? And you, you, you were mentioning about the martini and the travel, and that's not the purpose that you have going forward. Right. Like if you were retired today, your purpose would be different. This yeah. would be the activity to fulfill the purpose. So it'd be, it'd be part, yeah, part of the journey, right? That would be my purpose. And so let's let's paint in, and I'm going to pick on you, what's the purpose then? What right. are you trying to accomplish or have? Because there's a big change. You're accustomed to working every day, looking at the markets, talking to clients, you know, running your business, so on and so yeah. forth. 
And then now you're retired, so let's envision that. And these are now just activities you're gonna to do to fill up time. Well, so, you, you know, really interesting, because I don't think of it as, as, um, as retirement. I think of it as my purpose, my personal purpose, there right? Now, there's certain things in retirement that I'll be able to pursue as part of my purpose that I can't, well, I've got kids, aging parents, and a business to manage, right? So I, I think we have to be, um, we have to challenge people to think about uh, about what their life purpose is. And so for me, what, what caught my interest, I mean, obviously I'm a big James Bond fan, as you know, uh, and it would be a neat experience, but it fits, what, what attracts me about the James Bond idea is this idea of being a Renaissance man, right? And I mean, I've got a connection to history and, and Renaissance and Italy and all these different things, and it feeds into that. And I'm, uh, I'm personally interested in that. But one of the things that, that I want to do, and this isn't James Bond related, is to learn a new language. Now, yeah. you're fortunate you know two languages. I don't. Um, I, and I, I feel I need to know at least one other language. It's part of my purpose. And so, as you know, I'm, I'm butchering Italian right now and we're, <laughs> you know, working the way through that. But, but the idea of, 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 of purpose takes activities, right? It allows you to take specific activities and bundle them together. Mm -hmm. And when you bundle them, now I can create an experience, Correct. an enhanced set of, of activities. And then once we take that, that, uh, that experience and I can bundle experiences together, as long as they're consistent, they have some, some form of, of, of strategy, I'm not sure that's the right word to it, then we, we have this sense of purpose that we're fulfilling. Correct. Right? And so travel for me isn't about going to see Italy. It's going to, um, it's going to experience the culture, the food, the language, Right, the history, all of these different things, and I think we uh, we sell ourselves short, or many people sell themselves short as they move into this period of retirement mm -hmm. by trying to fill it with just plain old activity. Correct, because in our industry, we ask, "What are you going to do in retirement?" We don't ask, "What's your purpose?" And so that kind of just drives a different way. Because what what a lot of people in our industry are doing when they ask that question, like, "What are you going to do in retirement?" I'm going to travel. They're they're mentally calculating what's it going to cost. Right. For That's the activity it. to For travel. the activity to happen. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Right? In this case, for James Bond, $74,000. we got to put that in your retirement plan. Right. And it's very, very, you know, structured in that perspective. And I get that. We need to do that for sure. But it goes bigger than that. You'll, you'll notice that the, the people that are the ones that have purpose behind what they do are more at peace with what happens in their retirement. The people who are not, don't have something that they have a purpose behind have more volatility in their life right. and react and have concerns about things that are well beyond their control. Right. And it doesn't make it a very fun part of their, their journey. Well, so we know, we know people, um, and we're not going to share any names here, but I, and we know lots of people that are filling time with activity. Correct. Right? And, travel and, being one of them. Yeah, travel's a big one, right? I just want to travel here. I want to travel there. It's, it's like a bucket list. I want to, you know, knock off, like I saw Italy, I went to France, right. gone to South, South America, whatever. Like, you're just knocking them off the list. Right. And at some point, you're going to go, I've seen everything. Right. I've got all the pins on the map that I can possibly get. Now what? Yeah. Go back to purpose. Right. What was the purpose of that travel in your life? In fact, don't wait till you're done. Ask that question up front. Correct. Right. And then work backwards from that purpose. Are your experiences leading to the purpose? Right. Exactly. And what activities do I need to bundle together to get those experiences? What experiences do I need to bundle to get to that purpose, right? So it's, 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 it's all the things that we talk about, whether it's business planning, financial planning, investment planning, it's all the same this thing. This is the hardest part that my friends have, a, have with me. 
because we are now at that age where we start, you know, visioning what retirement could look like, yeah. right? And so, hey, Faisal, what are you going to do in retirement? I'm going to help people. What do you mean? My entire life has been revolving around me helping people get to a certain destination in their financial situation, right. in their business situation. I want to give them a good experience. So they can actually achieve something. Right. That's what I want to do. That's my purpose. Right. And they're like, what the heck does that mean in retirement? Mm -hmm. I go, it means everything. I can do whatever I want as long as I'm achieving that. Right. I could travel. I'm a big sports fan. Yep. I could travel and go in, into sports travel as long as I'm helping people along the way. That actually meets my purpose. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it gives me some fun activity and experiences to have along the way. Yeah. I think this is the challenge that people don't ha uh, people have with their with, when they're in retirement is they are focused on activity, not on the purpose. So they don't know what's driving it. Right. Right. Yeah, and, and that can be a hollow experience, right? And so we Completely. just we challenge everybody to, to think through it. And it's not easy, right? It's not easy. We used to run a, um, we used to have a speaker come in uh, that I remember very fondly talk about other directed versus self-directed in retirement. And his contention was there's only 10% of people that are self-directed. Other directed means other people's activities or desires to do activities, you'll get dragged into those things. Yeah. And that's even less fulfilling. Correct. Right? You'll fill your time, don't get me wrong, but less fulfilling yeah. from a purpose perspective because it's not connected to you. Correct. And so we have a program that we put clients through that actually goes through activities, then into experiences, then into purpose. Uh, these 31 things to do in retirement actually gets you, and using our process, I think that's a key thing. That's something that people need to look at. Now, you most people want to make sure they've got some sort of foundation set up, then they can explore purpose yep. Yep. or will be told, uh, explain the goal and the purpose after that. That foundation will come at our upcoming seminar That's right. on how to protect, grow, bulletproof that retirement so you can have this journey you want on Tuesday, April 25th, 7 p.m. at the Carriage House Inn. You need to register for this, so go to morethanmoneyradio.com. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of More Than Money. You're on QR Calgary. Faisal and I will chat with you next week. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.